Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth-generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation, so sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. and welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch. Thank you for joining me today. I'm recording a little later than normal because everything about today and these last few weeks have been nothing like normal. Um, Today's episode, I'm going to be talking about making masks and understanding sewing in a pandemic. And so what I wanted to get started with is to share a bit about the structure of today's episode. I'm going to talk about... Um, what the masks are, what they are used to be meant to be a substitute for, how people are making them. And there's also links in the show notes about this. I'm also going to talk about the good and the bad of making homemade masks. In addition, I will close with a few action steps, but not before we hear from an actual clinician who is a nurse working in um, a clinical setting with flu patients. And she is the person who is um, pictured in the photographs for this episode. So stay tuned and I will be right back with an overview of what we're going to do next. The coronavirus has just started to hit the U.S. in really direct and uh, life-changing ways. And I believe we're just getting started. Uh, just yesterday, um, this I, I live in Virginia, and the governor closed all schools for the rest of the year. Um, we have been um, not allowed to gather in groups more than 10. The university, where I am a professor, is close to in-person instruction for the rest of the year and might be moving in that direction for summer session as well. It's unsure. Um, they have also canceled all events and activities. The NCAA canceled March Madness, was which, which was when I knew it had gotten serious, is when the NCAA canceled March Madness. I was like, whoa, March Madness is a basketball tournament. But more striking for my students and that I feel really badly about is the university has canceled its graduation. And a lot of other schools are doing that and trying to find new ways um, to honor those students and to let them um, celebrate the pride of their achievement. But what we're dealing with is so serious and so contagious and can be trans- transmitted so rapidly. The virus itself is very robust. It, um, it, with, it can live on surfaces for 30 minutes. It can hang in the air, like all of these things. And this is contributing to the feeling of panic. And I just want us to think about the word panic, the word pandemic. All of these things are interconnected. And one way to combat that is with resources, obviously. Um, And that's something that we seem to have in short supply in the United States. And that is a bit of a surprise, considering how well-resourced we are in other areas. And so one of the things that the homemade masks are allowing people to do as an opportunity to support and to contribute. I do want to talk a little bit about the masks and offer and the, the opinions that I'm offering here are opinions that I have that I've made myself. I have read articles, I have done research, I've talked to nurses and nursing professors, I've read stuff from doctors, some the CDC, from the World Health Organization. And you can find um, the sources that I used in the show notes. If you go to them, there's a lot of show notes in here for this for this for today's episode. So do um, not forget to overlook them. Do not forget to look at those. What I wanted to just stress, and I think everybody knows, is that homemade masks are not effective. They are not effective. As they are not as effective as an N5 mask, they are not as effective as a surgical mask. They are, um, I think, they are at least and maybe less. There was a study that I read that talked about this. They're like 50% less effective than one of the lowest surgical or medical effectiveness. Um, 
essentially what we are dealing with is that this is better than nothing. And I think that that is a caveat that is really worth mentioning. Um, Just to review, an N5, an N95 mask is a type of respirator. Some of them have valves where you can breathe in and then the air also goes out. It's fitted custom to your face. Um, If people are using these, people typically use them in areas that are high smog or where the air is not clean, like in California from forest fires, which they get regularly. It allows people to move about the city outside because um, N95 masks um, filter out 95% of airborne particulates. That's a high amount. They filter out 95% of airborne particulates. Um, it's use, it's it's useful to know that the COVID-19 virus, which is the virus that we are talking about now, is a size 0.1 microbe size or micron size. It's there's it's a, it's really tiny, 0.1. Vacuum cleaner filters, which I know some people are using to filter their masks, are 0.3 size, and that's one of the recommendations. It's I just want to just sit with the idea that we are in a great time of uncertainty and that it does help people to feel better when they can help other people or feel like they are contributing. And that is something I do understand. I do want us to keep in mind, though, that um, making the masks is a wonderful project of I guess some, someone could call it maybe sewing solidarity. I just saw a couple of days ago that Joanne Fabrics is providing kits and stuff like that for people. But we can't. This we have to be aware that this is a, an absolute last resort, and it's a sign of how bad things have absolutely gotten. That hospitals are calling for these things, so. I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the construction of the masks. Um, I'm not going to go too much into it because if you look in the show notes, there are a lot of great tutorials that I have included. Um, Let's see, Atlanta Sewing Style with uh, Nikki. She has a tutorial on her Instagram page that I've included. Um, Patrice J. Bridal has a, a Facebook tutorial that she did last week, and she sewed, like, I think one or two masks, like, right in front of us in, like, 40 minutes start to finish. Um, Lisa Stewart from Cultured Expressions also has a tutorial on Instagram. And so those are three links that you can go to if you want to watch tutorials. I've also included a link to another page that had about 31 different tutorials and patterns for people to use to make these masks. I just wanted to get us to think about, in terms of the mask itself, that the materials that people are using, whether it's cotton or someone even suggested duck cloth, and I'm like, how are you supposed to breathe through duck cloth? Um, duck cloth, all of these things are not going to be up to the standard of a medical mask. Um, the, the only exception to that is I believe there was a hospital that had a project called 100 Million Masks, and they had prepped enough kits with actual medical-grade equipment, non-latex elastics, and all of these things that could be used to manu- for people to make masks at home. They have already given out 100 million of these kits. Um, and so they said they don't even have a need for them anymore. So I just wanted to kind of get people to think about that, like using two layers of quilting cotton and, oh my gosh, the things people are trying to put in these things. I think the vacuum cleaner bag is a really good idea um, because it does kind of protect, you know, point three microns, which is bigger than the virus, but the virus also floats on a droplet that could be bigger than that. Um, But other things that I've heard people using, like felt and quilt batting, that just seems like it'd be difficult to breathe with. I have not made any yet, but I um, I do have plans to do so. And I can tell you more about that in our closing. Um, but the thing that I've just found so, so interesting and concerning is how people seem to be overlooking the fact that we are in this position is because we are incredibly poorly resourced and our medical infrastructure is broken. That's this, this notion that somehow... We are meant to volunteer our way through this pandemic is such a problem, especially for a country that seems to have excess of so many things. But when it comes to the things that actually matter, 
you know, keeping doctors and nurses and clinicians alive so they can take care of us. That's something we have to like beg, borrow and steal for. And um, that's just a, a sign, I believe, of how the corrosive nature of capitalism seems to work. And so that's something that has really kind of come to light in ways that I hadn't expected before. That, and that is one thing about a crisis. A crisis will really show you who you are. And uh, a pandemic will show you what your nation's values are. And some of the things that I've been seeing have been very concerning about what the values of this nation are. Um, and I, I will talk about that when I get to the quote-unquote bad of the mask-making schema. I read a post, I think it was a Facebook post, um, from a doctor that said sending homemade masks for surgeons and for doctors and medical professionals as um, PPE, a personal protection equipment, is like sending soldiers into war with flip-flops. Yes, flip-flops are better than no shoes at all. But are they really? Have you ever tried to run really fast in flip-flops? You really cannot. You're better off kicking them things off and going bare feet. But I think that this is, again, where we are. This notion that the homemade masks that are being generated by the tens of thousands is a sign of uh, support and solidarity and compassion and concern for our medical care workers. And I think that this is a wonderful thing to celebrate. At the same time, it should not all, those masks shouldn't mask that we shouldn't be in this position in the first place. And it's worth interrogating why we ended up here, why um, these masks have not been available, what is the reason why we don't have these things. And that's something that I'm really interested in. And again, I'm not going to talk too much about that other than to say, I'm pretty sure it's capitalism is the reason that we don't have these things. And um, I, I just wanted to... Just put that out there. I'm not meaning to be a, a downer. You know, there's a, there's a lot of anxiety around what's happening right now because nobody knows what's happening right now. And sometimes sitting in front of the sewing machine with a six by nine piece of fabric and two elastic straps or some bias tape is just the thing you need to make you feel better. However, the goal of this is not for a lot of people who are anxious to feel better. The goal is to help get our doctors and nurses equipped, right? And so I would I think of course we can do both things at once, right? We can make these masks and give them to people and we can advocate and promote um the manufacture of more masks and come up with more an additional and more and additional creative solutions. Um, I saw that there was a digital lab that one of my uh, friends runs at Columbia, and he's working on using make, creating a pattern for 3D printers to print up materials for masks that that can be used for. Um, medical professionals in New York, because in New York City, it's incredibly. Because it's so densely packed, they are a new epicenter of this disease. And they have needs. They have needs. And I just, I just feel really badly and at a loss and frustrated that that need, and this need is a large need in the United States, this need is meant to be met by completely inadequate resources, which I would say a homemade mask is. It is better than nothing. It is a it is a tool of last resort. This is what the CDC has said. This is what the World Health Organization has said. Even the whole, the World Health Organization actually said that these masks shouldn't be used. But now here we are, and we have to use them because we have nothing else. I'm going to take a little break, and when I come back, I'll talk again about the good and the bad of a homemade mask. Please stay tuned. at Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, we talk a lot about sewing. But if you want to see and not just hear about some of the things we've been discussing, feel free to join us on the socials. You can find us at Stitch Please on Facebook, and you can also find us on Instagram at Black Women Stitch. You can find photos of projects that we've been working on, 
really interesting social commentary. And on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can join Black Women Stitch for a live Instagram chat. Again, that's every Thursday at 3 p.m. So find us on the socials, follow up with us. We are happy to hear your direct messages. You can reach out to us at the Black Women Stitch page on Instagram, and we'll help you get your stitch together. much for coming back and listening to the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch. We're talking today about sewing in a pandemic, making masks. Um, I've talked a bit about in the previous segment about the masks and what they are intended to be a substitute or supplement for. Um, I've offered my opinion that the masks, based on my reading, that the masks are not effective in the transmission or protection from transmission from COVID-19, that it's not possible for a homemade mask to work in the same way as a surgical mask, which is less effective even than an N95 respirator mask, which are both of which both of those things are now in short supply. So if that's the case, then what are they good for? And I believe that they are good for quite a few things. One of the things that they are good for is that it is a good reminder to stop touching your face. Y'all, someone said to me today, oh, a crisis really does help you know about yourself or teach you about yourself. And I'm like, well, that's absolutely true because apparently my hobbies are sewing and quilting and podcasting and touching my freaking face. I have touched my face so much in, I, I, I never realized how much I touched my face. I was in a Zoom conference today because I said our teaching has been moved online. I think I touched my face like 97 times. It was a one hour and 15 minutes class, people. I, I couldn't help it. I was like, oh, wait, I think I got an itch on my eyebrow. I got to put my hand on my chin in a, in a very professorial way to look like I'm interested in listening, which I obviously am. I'm fiddling with my hair. I mean, it is terrible. So a mask is a symbolic sign, and it's a symbolic reminder to myself to stop touching my face. So I think if it does that, great. The second thing I think it is good for is that wearing a mask, um, and this is one of the articles that you can find in the show notes, it's a sign of cultural or group solidarity. If everybody is out in a mask and everyone is wearing a mask, it sends this image that it sends this message that we're all in this together, that everybody is thinking and being mindful and trying to not touch their own faces and taking care and taking others. Um, healthy steps to stay healthy and to stay uninfected and to not transmit this disease. Um, I recall, excuse me, I was at the grocery store a couple days ago and a lady came in and she had gloves and she had a mask on and I was just like, oh my gosh. But she was like, oh, and, I, and she grabbed a sanitizer like I did and wiped down the counter, not the counter, wiped down the shopping cart and all that stuff. And she's like, well, I'm doing this to protect you and I'm glad you're using a hand sanitizers to protect me. And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> I was like, I was, I think I might, there was some social distance involved and I might've just nodded and just been like, yes, please proceed. Um, but it is a sign that this is one of the things that the article was talking about. It's a sign that we are in it together as a community and that that is an effective thing to know. Another thing that I believe a homemade mask is good for is for low risk is for people who are not in a role of giving care to other people. There's lots of people who work in hospital settings that are not, that don't have any contact with patients um, or who don't, who don't have physical contact with patients. There are people that process the insurance. There's hospital administrators. There's, um, there's people who have to work in the building where this virus is and, but aren't able to, but they don't seem to be given um, either the degree of social distance that they need to do their jobs or um, they're not giving surgical masks because surgical masks um, need to be used by the people who are 
you know, who make patient contact or whatever. And so there's a lot of places where people could use masks to help minimize their exposure. And um, a homemade mask could be very good for that. Because, again, one of the things that I read, and this is one of the articles, a study from um, a, a, a company, I believe, called Smart Filter. Again, the link is in the show notes. And it said that it trapped, like, N95 masks trap like 95 or 97 percent of flu particles. Surgical masks got about 80, and homemade masks with a filter were about at 50. And then there were some other masks that um, were a little bit lower. And so it's not getting everything. It really is more like five out of five out of ten. Um, five out of five out of the ten flu particles can get in there, as opposed to in the higher rated masks that are well fitted, they don't they they don't get through. Like nine like ninety nine point five of ten. Ninety five out of ten would be ninety five out of a hundred. You know, y'all, I am not a math person and throwing all these numbers around is just giving me a headache. Um but the purpose is that um there are places where people need a bit less protection than someone who is a nurse and a doctor and a janitorial worker working in the custodial services, cleaning the rooms, cleaning the hospitals, sanitizing them. I remember once I was um, feeling like not so great about my job and I was like, oh, this is so hard grading all these papers or something. And then I learned about a person at the hospital at the University of Virginia Hospital, which is where I work, not the hospital. I work at the academic side. They call it the academic side in the hospital. There's a person who worked at the hospital and their job, y'all, their job was to flip the mattresses. That was their job, to flip the mattresses. Do you know how many beds are in a hospital like that? A lot. And their job was to flip the mattresses, even with patients on them. So they, well, I'm imagining like flipping them off, making them fall to the floor and scooping them up. No, no, no. You obviously, you transfer them to a chair or to a wheelchair or to something. And then you take all the linens off the bed and then you flip the mattress and then you remake the bed and you get the patient back in there. Like that person who's doing that job needs a freaking mask even if they're not a doctor or a nurse or another type of clinician. And so there's lots of people who have higher needs for these medical-grade masks. And for people who have a bit less of a need, these, I think, homemade masks would work great. Um, again, my opinion, not a doctor or a nurse or a clinician or an infectious disease specialist, um, my advice in terms of actual advice is to stay home, stay away from people, and catch your cough in your um, elbow. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to put down as um, two things that I think are good about the homemade masks, one is that it can be a really cute accessory. And if you followed anything on my Instagram page, you know I like to match. I love matching. And if you think for one hot second that I'm not going to make some matching masks to go with all my outfits, you are mistaken because I have some extra fabric from our Easter outfits that I made because we'll be wearing, this year, friends, we will be wearing our Easter outfits at Backyard Baptist right here at this house, our matching outfits. And I have some scraps that I can use to make some matching mask for myself. I'm sure the boys will not want to be involved in any of my foolishness, but that's one thing. They are very cool when they match your outfit. Um, actually, Quinora Renee, if you can find her fabrics by Quinora on Instagram, she posted a picture of herself in this really nice blue and white duster with a mask that she had made. And you can see that on her Instagram page. That's pretty cool. Um, the last thing that I think is a good thing about the mask is that it gives people something to do. It gives people something to do in a way to feel connected and to feel like they're helping and supporting a larger, um, a larger initiative, that they're helping to solve a problem. They're providing a solution that hasn't been able to be provided and that they're stepping in to fill the gap and I think, or to bridge the gap. And I think that that is good and that is a good feeling and that can be very positive. So those are some of the good aspects, I believe, about the homemade masks. And now I'm going to transition to talk about the things that I think are not great or actually bad about the homemade masks.
The dangers I see it of the homemade masks as I'm seeing them proliferate is that it is a distraction from the problems that led to this shortage in the first place. That is one of the things I think it is worth talking about is why is medical care so expensive in this country? Why does why might a hospital, for example, mark up a five dollar bottle of saline for five hundred dollars? Why do why is everything so expensive? And yet in our time of great crisis, we don't have enough of the things that we need. Is it because they are expensive? Is it because the manufacturing is not enough? I'm not sure. But I just feel like these systems that have so much money to do so many other things, why are you relying on home sewers to provide you with, you know, millions upon millions upon millions of masks? Um, I feel like there should that, that this country should we should have enough. Um, and again, that's, you know, shoulds are not, you know, I, I know we have to now live in reality and live in the present moment. I'm not trying to pull us out of that. But I do want us to step back and think, like, why are we needing to do this at all? Why is this um, um, why is this mad rush for, you know, helping to to that helping to close the gap for a very basic need that a nurse needs to do her job and to stay safe because i mean this is i don't want to be alarmist but the truth is if our medical professionals fall who is going to take care of us if we get sick if they get sick because they don't have the protection that we they need um then what's going to happen? It's all going to go to shit. I'm sorry to say, and so I just I would and and a homemade mask might be a very small modicum of protection. They've been suggested that these masks will be used over the N95 masks. They'll be used in addition to um, an N95, or they will be used to double layer on top of a hospital um, surgical mask. There's all of these things that might be happening. But what we know for certain is that masks, these N95 masks that are not meant to be reused in a clinical context are now being reused four and five times and maybe more. Um, there was a time when a nurse would be in trouble if she walked out of a room wearing a mask and didn't throw it away and get a new one in order to minimize cross-contamination and infection. And now you might have a mask and that's your mask for the day. That's your mask for the next, you know, for the first half of your shift. It reminds me of when I was a kid, um, my mother is very clever, and it was three of us. I think y'all heard us on the Christmas Kiki episode last year. And so we'd be home during the summer, and we'd be coming in and out of the house, and we would be in and out of the refrigerator, and we'd be in and out of, you know. And she, what she would do is she would get these cups, and she would each put, she would put our names on them, and she would say, look, this is your cup. This, and I think it could even have been like a, a styrofoam cup. See, my mother was all about like sustainability even before it became popular. But she would put your name on a styrofoam cup and that would be your cup for the day because she wasn't going to be washing these dishes. She was not going to be, you know, chasing behind people to see whose was what. And this is what's actually happening in hospitals now. People are taking Sharpies and putting doctors and nurses and clinicians initials on these things because this is their mask for the day, as opposed to they would go through about a dozen, and now they're down to just a handful. And it's just, it just shows where we are. And I have read, and I, I, have, I put a link to this in the show notes as well, that 3M, which manufactures these masks, has started to um, step up its production um, and really ramping it up so that they can be prepared. Um, and so that's something that continues to happen, and that's a really good feeling. But I think it's also worth us remembering and this is something that I mentioned this in, um, I taught my first class on Instagram live a few weeks ago after the spring break, that there's no such thing as natural disasters, that there are systems, that there are ways to have healthy systems in place that can be used to 
have sustainable living for everyone um, so that people can have their basic needs met. And um, this book, there, there are no such thing as a natural disaster, is making me think a lot about where we are right now. Um, and so one of the things, again, to go all the way around the barn is that I find problematic about the homemade masks is that it is distracting us from why we don't have enough of the real things that we need. Um, and that and pushing that responsibility off onto us rather than interrogating the systems, the hospitals, the um, the government, the governments, the local municipalities, you know, all of these things, the, the manufacturing industries. Why aren't there enough of these things to meet basic needs? So that was one question that I don't want us to lose sight of in our willingness to help. Another concern about the homemade masks that I have now is the ways in which it could be used as a panacea. A panacea is a... Um I'm trying to define this in a way that makes sense, like the difference between a placebo, which is like a false, um, which is like a, a oh, great. Now I got to Google it. Hold, please. OK, I'm back. So a placebo is, as we know, it's a it's a, that's when you give someone a it's a substance that has no medical value. Um, it's not something that will make anybody feel better. But the, the, the but the patient believes it's medicine. So it works. Right. This is something that you can do for someone. And there's a lot of like studies about the placebo effect of giving someone that's it might be like saline or something. And it really doesn't have any medical effect, but they believe it does. And so it works. Um, we don't want that in a pandemic. We do not want to be giving people placebos. I think that's dangerous. I think it's unethical. And I'm seeing that a lot of these masks are being used in this way as, you know, it's the last resort, it's not harmful, it's fine, um, when in fact it's not, nothing about this is fine. It's also a danger, and I think I mentioned the word panacea earlier, when a placebo becomes a panacea. That's like the absolute worst combination, right? Because a panacea is like a remedy for all diseases, it's a cure-all, it's um, a simple solution for really complicated problems, and it and it doesn't really work. Um, it's really shallow. And so I the the thing that the about the mess that I find concerning is that people put on these masks that are not very effective. And they don't know how to wear a mask and use a mask. They breathe the mask in and out. Um, all of the viral stuff accumulates on the outside, but then they can't stop touching it. So they, then they touch the mask. They touch their face. They touch somebody else. I mean, it's just a lot of work just required to get used to practicing wearing a mask. And if you wear a mask badly, it is certainly not going to help you. And so my fear is, or my concern is, people buying homemade masks or make, uh, buying is a different question, making homemade masks and thinking that, oh, I'm protected, I'm going to Sam's Club, you know, where you get together with a bunch of other people who also don't know how to wear a mask, and it's a big mask party, and everyone's thinking, oh, look how good we're being, look how, you know, protected we're being, and you really aren't being protected at all. And that feeling of false protection, that placebo, makes you more vulnerable than you would have been if you had no mask and just stayed home. I want to talk in our final segment before we get to the very special segment of our program about selling the homemade masks. Um, I find this very disturbing. I've seen this trend start maybe three weeks ago um, and on the rise, on the increase, um, more and more I'm seeing this. And I just wanted to say that I find this deeply problematic. I think that pandemics should not be a money-making opportunity. Um, I believe that, yes, capitalism does require us to um, seize any opportunity that we might have to acquire wealth and income and money, that that's something that, that we have been trained to do and think about in capitalism. But I do find this really unethical in the same way I think it's unethical for a hospital to charge $500 for a $5, $5 bottle of saline. Um, this... The masks are not clinically effective. They're not clinically tested. They have been sewn in houses like who knows what. I know that for a lot of us, for black folks, we don't eat at everybody's house. And you can be certain I would not be wearing a mask from everybody's house. And so this notion that by selling these things, we, I don't know, it just seems like not a nice thing to be selling. 
especially in the time of such panic and such crisis. Um, when hospitals are asking for equipment that is clearly substandard, which is a, a homemade mask is substandard by definition to an N5 mask or a surgical mask. When people are asking for substandard equipment, this is a sign of desperation. Um, and it's a certain type of profiteering that I find really problematic to sell something um, in a time of such great crisis. Even if it's profitable financially, it seems really um, problematic legally as well as ethically. Um, especially, Mike, I've really seen some, I've been concerned about folks who want to buy them and put them on their babies and buy them and put them on their toddlers. And I'm like, please, ma'am, please do not put a baby, put a mask on a baby. Like, keep the baby at home. It seems to me just as bad as putting a baby in a car seat with no straps. Um, if you're going to put a poorly made homemade mask on a baby, just keep the baby away from other people and stay home. Um, so that's something I just wanted to, to throw out there and to, again, I'm not telling anybody what to do. People can do what they want to do. I'm hoping that everybody, um, is an adult with their own sense of moral compass and their own sense of direction. Um, but that to me just seems so problematic and concerning that I absolutely had to mention it as an issue. I'm going to transition now to um, a conversation, well, not a conversation, a voice memo that I asked for from uh, a, a, a woman who is a nurse. Uh, her name is Chanel. She is featured in the podcast art for this episode. That's her suited up with the N95 mask, with a face shield, with gloves and her equipment going into her work, um, which she does in part at a COVID-19 slash flu clinic. Um, I've asked her, she, she created a voice memo. Um, I'm going to play it in its entirety just to kind of honor the story that she's telling about where we are right now. And this is someone who has a perspective on the disease from the inside. So I hope you'll listen um, with attention. And when I when, and after she's done, I'm going to come back with some action steps about what you can do and how you can use your sewing to help make a change in this really stressful and difficult time. Stay tuned. And here's Janelle. Good day, everyone. I am Chanel. I am a clinical care technician slash licensed practical nurse. I work here in the 757 area or Tidewater area of Virginia. The practice that I work at um, is a clinic, so it is not the hospital. I do not work for, I do not work in a hospital. I work for an internal medicine practice where our patient population is between the ages of 60 and above with chronic illnesses, mostly chronic illnesses. Um, it has been extremely challenging for our practice just within the last three weeks. My patients have been calling me to ask me to change their appointments to be, um, you know, to, to, you know, so they won't have to come outside. They have asked me to um, send more medications to their um, pharmacies, to their mail, arm, uh, mail order pharmacies. They have um, not wanted to come in, you know, come to their regular appointments because they're scared. So it's been quite challenging on that aspect. And then they're asking us questions about what is COVID-19? What is the coronavirus? So uh, I can tell you briefly, the coronavirus is a virus that attacks your lungs. And if you are a patient with a chronic illness, like let's say you have heart issues or you already have lung issues, you have diabetes, um, this thing will attack you and it can possibly kill you. So you have to be mindful of... Um, our patients who are in that, that range with chronic illnesses and who are 60 and above because they're weak immune systems. Um, I have noticed that um, we have shifted the changing in our, um, in our clinic where we are calling the patients before they even come in. I mean, we usually call our patients anyway. However, we are calling them to ask them if they have a cough, fever, or shortness of breath. And if they do, we are sending them to another clinic, which is the clinic that within the last week I am working at now. 
um, to combat this COVID nineteen slash flu epidemic that is that is um, overtaking our country. Um, it has been very crazy because even at my clinic, we are short on a lot of things that we have and that we don't have. Um, we are taking temperatures at the front door. Before the patient even comes in the door, we are taking temperatures at the door, giving them hand sanitizer, giving them like a squirt of hand sanitizer, and then they're able to go in to check in for their appointment if they are well. If they show any signs or symptoms of having this right here, we have to isolate them in a room alone by themselves, and they should not be bringing any family members or any visitors just even to the clinic. It has been hectic because we have gotten different things from, you know, the the heads of our corporation. It has been crazy. Now, fast forward to the clinic that I'm at right now. It's still crazy because we're we had to build this place up from the ground up. It is a place that we had to um, take over a clinic that was already, you know, um, closing down. So whatever they had in there, we used the little bit that they had. However, we had to go out to our medical groups and beg, borrow, and steal, you know, to get things from them in order to run this clinic that we are at now, the COVID-19 slash flu clinic. And I say slash flu clinic because we are still testing for flu just to make sure if the patient has flu or strep, we're testing those things right now. It's been where people think that they can just come in and say, oh, I have sinus issues. Can you take me out for 14 days for work? No, that is not what we're here for. We are here to, you know, um, make sure that our patients do not have coronavirus slash COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. You know, the medical term for it is COVID-19. We're just trying to make sure that our patients are safe. So if you have, you know... The pollen is out now. So if you just have like, you know, seasonal allergies, please don't come to the doctor. Deal with it yourself at home. It's been a struggle trying to, you know, have our patients know the difference. There is a difference. Now, the symptoms of the COVID-19 that we have just found out here in America is shortness of breath. And this is unusual shortness of breath. Um you know, a high fever, 102 point something people, not 100.2 or, you know, it's 102 point whatever. So please make sure that your temperature is on a consistent basis of being high and that you have an unusual cough. And this is, is staying constant for more than three days all of these symptoms, more than three days. If you have these symptoms, then please go to the emergency room at that time. Don't go to your doctor and get everybody infected. Don't go out in the, in the street and get everybody infected. You know, just go straight to the emergency room. Let them know your signs and symptoms so that they can treat you correctly. Now, here in Virginia, we have gotten um, a notice saying that they did not want the um, clinics to be performing or the drive-up clinics to be performing COVID-19 testing, and only because of the fact that they, well, we don't have anything. We don't have the correct PPE that's um, personal protective equipment. We do not have a lot of it. We are running out of tests and we are running out of a lot of things that we do not have as far as masks. Now let's get to the mask things. So sisters, I know you're out there. I know that you want to be able to protect your families and 
and stuff like that, I think that's a good thing by trying to make them a homemade mask. That's fine. However, if you're out there and you are trying to make a profit and you're trying to sell um, patterns and um, tutorials and, um, you know, you're trying to sell the mask itself that you're making from the scraps in your home, I say shame on you. Because us medical professionals are struggling right now. We can barely get gowns that we need. These little paper gowns that you see we wear, we can barely get that. We can barely get the goggles, the mask, the N95 mask, the hair bonnets, the booties, um, and the test itself. We can barely get a glove. So I'm asking and pleading with you, please do not be nasty and stingy and start selling of these things. It is very imperative that you listen to me when I tell you this because we are struggling out here. We do not have the luxury of staying home. We have to be up and personal in the face of these patients. We have to be up and personal in the in the mouths and in the noses of these patients collecting these tests from them. So please be mindful when you go out there and you try to sell this to a nurse who doesn't know how to sew. Shame on you. That's all I got to say about that part. Um, but what you can do if you do want to make masks and stuff like that, I say to my sew sisters, go out there, go ahead, make your mask. But make sure you give it to a worthy cause. Ask your local hospitals and stuff like that. Hey, I would like to donate masks. What can I, you know, do to help out? They'll tell you the fabric that they need if you if you ask them what fabric they need. You know, they'll tell you don't bring latex up in there because it may affect the 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 healthcare worker or the patient themselves. They'll let you know. You know, or teach someone how to make a mask by hand sewing. I know that's a lost art. Teach someone how to make a uh, um, how to make a mask by hand sewing or by machine sewing. So do that if you want to help out. Do that, but don't try to sell us your scraps that you just made from your home. Um. I think I pretty much said what I needed to say. We are in an epidemic now where it is hitting home, where um, a lot of us are struggling to, you know, figure out when this will end, you know, and what what we do and don't have, you know. Um, but I'm just asking, please, Please, so sisters. And I call you so sisters because I do have a business called Perfume Lettuce. And I do know how to sew as well. But I I, I love my um I love my patients as well. I am a nurse and I want to make sure that my patients are well off. So if you want to, if uh, oh also, yeah, you can give it to someone that's 60 and above. Go to the nursing homes. I know you can't get in there though, but you know, drop it off at their door and say, "Hey, I'm giving these to the patients that's in here." You know, do something, do something productive. Um but but don't don't sell the don't don't sell the mask, please. That's all I ask. But I I Thank you. Um, I thank you for listening to me. I thank you for this time. I just ask that you please, um, you know, um, help one another. Cover your cover your mouth when you cough. Wash your hands and practice social distancing. Thank you, Black Women Stitch, for this opportunity, and um, I look forward to. You guys doing your part as well that was with this epidemic. Thank you, and goodbye. 
That was Chanel, a clinician and licensed practical nurse working in the Tidewater region of Virginia, working at a COVID-19 slash flu clinic, um, asking us to do our part. And I want to contribute to that and honor that by giving you a few action steps that I believe are that are important. Just remember the very basics. Social distancing. Stay home. Y'all, I talked to my mother today. And she said, oh, you know, we've been doing good. You know, um, she lives with, you know, some family members at home. And but then she said that somebody came by to visit and it was a girl that she had taught my mother's elementary school teacher for many years. And she's got a lot of former students who now have kids. And she taught my mother taught so long, y'all. She taught people and then those people grew up and had children and she taught them, too. Right. So. You know, also, she's awesome. She's a nice lady. And people are coming by to visit her and check it, not check in on her. They're coming to visit her because they have free time now, apparently. I was furious. And I usually do not, of course, curse at my mother. I would never curse at my mother ever. But I was so mad. I was like, Mom, those people are not being helpful and they need to stay the hell away from you because you are 81 years old and have one freaking kidney. This is not the time, friends, to be visiting your old fourth grade teacher because you happen to be around and you have some free time. If you really want to check in with your fourth grade teacher that I'm sure you haven't thought about in 40 years, but okay, whatevs, call her on the phone. You know, she has a phone. Call her. Ask if she needs something. Ask if you could drop it off at the front door of her house, right? But this is not the time for social calls, especially to people who are in their 80s. I was so furious. I did tell my sister, Mama, if you're listening to this podcast, I told Stephanie, she'll be giving you a call. Sorry, but I was really upset, and I want you to be safe. And people are obviously not doing that around you, so my bad. So practice social distancing, call. Like I know when we, we go to the store, not as often as we used to, but like whenever I go out to the store, I call my neighbors, you know, who are up in the age of like my mother. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to the store. I'm at Costco. What do you need? Do you need anything so that they don't have to go out? I noticed some stores have started practicing things like early hours for elderly people or people who are seen as in high risk categories. Um, so I think that's a great step. But I think, you know, keeping them safe is to keep them and their compromised immune systems away from this virus. And that's, I think, the best step that we can do. If you want to use your sewing to... Um, to support this virus, to not support the virus, good Lord, to support the fight against this virus, make your homemade masks. I haven't made any yet, but I'm telling you, after I talked to my mother and before I decided to snitch on my mother to my sister, I, she asked me for a mask. Y'all, y'all know I don't think these masks are effective. I think that the droplet rate and the droplet size for this virus is way smaller than can get in. It can totally get into your quilting cotton masks or whatever. But my mother asked me for some. So I'm going to make her some and I'm going to send them to her. I'm going to send them to her with the caveat that, Ma, this is not for you to be going to Sam's Club now. Right? So maybe I shouldn't make her one. Then maybe she'd stay home. I'll think about that. No, no. I said I would do it. So I'm going to do it. I don't like to tell lies. Um, so I will make her one and you can make one well, out. I was like, and you can make her one too. Please don't, please don't send me a million masks to give to my mother. Um, make them, I guess the, the bottom line that I'm going to basically answer is that respond to local needs, respond to local needs. There are a lot of local needs and a lot of places that could definitely use and appreciate your homemade mask. Yes, they are not effective. Um, or very, very effective. They have very low effective rates in the transmission. And that it is a good chance that if you are wearing this mask near someone who has this virus, you will catch it um, because the mask cannot catch all the, the viral particulates, right? It, of course, it'll help you probably if someone sneezes on you, but I don't know. I don't think so. But it would be helpful just to stay away from people who might sneeze on you. That's a better solution, right? Um, 
but this is these are some places that I believe, and I have this in my list of places who could use and benefit from homemade masks. There are places in hospitals around the country, including the University of Virginia. I put the address in the show notes for this. If you want to send homemade masks, they will accept them. Um, there's lots of other hospitals that were accepting them, accepting them at one time, and then they stopped because they got too many. They got enough, and they, they're asking people to send them elsewhere. So check your local area. Call your urgent cares. Call your, um, ask what, what your own internal medicine doctor is doing. Find out if there's some geriatric clinics, because those folks really need them, some for the patients and some for the, the staff, some for the people that check you in at the front door. All those folks could benefit who are exposed to sick people or potentially sick people could benefit from a homemade mask. I also ask people to check out the call the jails and prisons um, because a, a, a COVID-19 outbreak in a prison is a catastrophe. It is a human rights catastrophe. And we're already seeing that in terms of how prisoners are being treated, the way that people who haven't even been convicted of a crime, because courts are closed, they can't be processed. So they've not been convicted of anything, but they can't even face a judge, you know, in order to start moving the process along. So there's lots of places, medical offices, hospital administrators who, again, don't see patients, but who um, who check people in, who um, who do all the records and stuff behind the scenes. You know, they are exposed every day, too, because they're out in the world. And so call and see what your local needs are. There's also grassroots groups. I know we have one here in Charlottesville. I imagine there. I've seen them. I saw one pop up in Harlem and lots of other places where people are doing community care. These folks are like people who have training as medics. Um, they're community organizers. They could benefit with some masks. So I'm not saying that the masks are totally useless. I'm saying that they should not be used as a uh, panacea, especially when they are placebo. The combination of a placebo as a panacea is is a really bad scenario. And so if we're going to get through this, which we are, um, we have to... Um, Everybody try to take care of themselves and take care of each other. And it means doing boring things like staying home and sad things like I did. I had to cancel my 50th birthday party. It was supposed to be, it was going to be in Vegas. It was going to be amazing. My sisters had put together all of this stuff and they got my flight and I was going to stay at that. I'd never been to Las Vegas before and I was going to stay at this really nice hotel and we were going to get massages and makeup and a photo shoot and my mother was going to come and it was just going to be absolutely amazing because you only turn 50 once and um, all of that has changed. You know, we are all living through changes. And so I am home. And one of the changes, did I, I think I mentioned this in the notes. I'm not sure if y'all read the notes or not. But um, my podcast studio, I'm now sharing it with a college student. Yeah, yeah. The podcast studio is now back to being Riley's room. So I have to kind of like find a good time, you know, to get into the studio and record the podcast. Actually, I'm, I'm nearly up at, with my time. I told him I would be done about um, eight minutes ago, so I'm going to get going. But I thank you all so much for listening. Um, if you um, please share the episode with other folks, if you have comments or questions, you can, you know, you can send me a DM. Um, it's my birthday. So if you want to send me a present, you could totally send me a cash app or um, Venmo or some such thing. I will put that in the show notes too. Hashtag pay black women. Why not? Um, I really want to get some fabric. So probably before they stop shipping things out for fabric, people could give me some money to do that. That'll be awesome. Um, but again, everybody stay safe. Uh, wash your hands. Um, stay six feet away from people at a minimum. If the, the sooner we do the social distancing, the sooner we um, do all of things that are required, the sooner we can get this resolved. So on that note, um, I will be back next week. And um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. 
There are a variety of ways that you can support the program, and you're doing it right now. By listening to the pro- by listening to the podcast, it does help us grow. Another way to do that is to rate the podcast, review it, subscribe to it. All of these things are ways that you can support the podcast without having to spend any money at all. If you would like to spend some money to support us, there are ways to do that as well. You can make direct donations to our Patreon site for monthly contributions, as well as one-time contributions to PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo. And finally, we have another cute, very adorable way for you to support the Black Women's Stitch Project. It's a pin, a P-I-N enamel lapel pin that's very cute. It's about two inches wide and one and a half inch tall, and it's of the Black Women's Stitch logo. And that is $15 with free shipping to the U.S. And so if you drop $15 in the uh, PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App accounts, and then send me your email, no, not email, if you send me your mailing address to my email either at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com or you send me a direct message on the Black Women's Stitch Instagram page we will put the pin in the mail to you. Um, again free shipping, $15 for the pin and all of this goes to support the Black Women's Stitch Project. Thank you again for joining us this week. Come back next week and we will help you get your stitch together.